You're listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderlin, New York. Now here's Pastor Sean. Well, Dan, as he shared last week, as, as I shared with you a couple weeks before that, that the book of Romans shifts a bit. We've been talking a whole lot of high end and just who we are before God as sinners and Jesus saves us. And then there's kind of a transition in chapter 12. And Dan shared well the just about the relationships and how, how our relationships with one another as followers of Jesus Christ have changed as a result of that. You know, this book is really all about relationships, beginning to end. If if you want to be good at relationships, this is a book you need to pay attention to. It teaches us how to have a relationship with God and how the overflow of that, how to have healthy and godly and good relationships with one another. You know, really the biggest problems we face in life are, are not paying the mortgage. It's not when we lose our job. It's not medical. Those are big things for sure. But really, the ongoing challenges that we face more than anything is relationships with people, whether it's our coworkers, whether it's our family, people under our own roofs that we share in our home, whether it's extended family, whether it's our neighbors, just relationships, relationships, relationships. And from the very beginning, from Adam and Eve, you know, that had a perfect relationship with God, that we as people had that with God, and we lost it when we disobeyed Him. That relationship was broken. And if you look at the Bible and what comes after that, we see nothing but but damage and collateral damage with all of the dysfunction and challenges within family, within people, and all the things that come out of that. And so the book of Romans is sharing us how to have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ that we couldn't make our way to God, but God made His way to us through sending His Son Jesus who paid for the problems, the sin problem that we all had, that we then by trusting Him by faith could have that relationship restored with God, that we could be made whole and forgiven and be free of our sin again. And then out of that grace and out of that love that God shows us and that we experience in our heart, that we begin to live differently in our other relationships on this earth. So this morning, as Dan shared about last week about the relationships that we kind of have with each other and how we're supposed to relate to one another and help one another, this week the Bible shifts a little bit and it's really how to have a good relationship with your enemy. Now, that's a little bit of a harder subject. You know what I mean? It's easy to love people that love you back. It's easy to care about people and to show concern and compassion and engage when people treat you nicely. It's a whole nother story when they are people that do not treat you very nicely and that you might be like, well, I don't know if they're my enemy. Like, okay, well, they're just jerks. They're just not nice to you. Call them whatever you want. But this passage, this section is about how do you deal with difficult people? How do you handle that? Now, big disclaimer, Jesus changes everything and he changes our relationships. But that doesn't mean, this is not a fairy tale, right? This is not a you know, enemy shows up, bad things happen. Oh my goodness, nice, you know, person gets beat down, but then somehow they overcome and they live happily ever after. No problems, no any other thing, you know, beyond that. I mean, that's kind of the Disney idea, right? It's kind of hallmark. I mean, that's like most of the storylines out there. That's not reality. This, the gospel is not a fairy tale. So we, we recognize this morning that you and the other person are in a relationship. And if that other person doesn't change, even if you change, the relationship changes. You are part of the equation. And so there's a disclaimer that this doesn't mean that all of a sudden because a person 
is saved or knows Jesus, that all of a sudden they're going to live happily ever after and have the perfect spouse. You know, that's not reality. But when the gospel changes you, and when Jesus changes your life, you begin to relate to other people differently. And then you begin for the first time in your life for God to begin to use you to do something better in the other person's life. And oftentimes that does happen, but not always. So read with me if you would with that little disclaimer. How do we deal with difficult people? Look at Romans chapter 12, verse 14 and following. The Bible says this, Bless those who persecute you. When you've been persecuted, that's what you wake up in the morning thinking about. How can I bless them today? That person was mean to me yesterday. How can I just be awesome to them when they're being so mean and cruel to me? Wow. God says, bless them who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Don't you dare curse them, whether in word or in deed or in your heart. Don't do it. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty or prideful, but associate with the lowly. Don't be too good for anybody that you can't associate with them, but relate and be with even the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceable with all. You can't guarantee what the other person's going to do, but as far as you, make sure you're doing everything you can possibly do to live peaceably, he's saying. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it's written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. That's the fun part. <laughs> Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Most of this is talking about how do we deal with difficult people. Even the stuff in between is still kind of sandwiched in there about persecution and those people that are out to get you, and it's the, the picture of all of that. So four things I want you to notice quickly that God expects us in our relationships that if the Lord Jesus is in your life and you are born again, you are saved by His blood shed on the cross for you, these are not optional. This is not, this is not you going to the local buffet or like, yeah, I think I'm going to skip that. I'm just going to focus over here. We don't get to pick and choose. You know, well, I'm going to obey God in this area, but not in that area. You know, congratulations. When you said, I do to Jesus, you said, I do to everything. And this is what he tells us that we are to do. And the first thing is, is that we are to bless our enemies, bless those that persecute us. Now, sometimes we're all sinners. After you come to know Jesus and after you surrender to Him, He changes your life, but you still have sin inside there. God doesn't wave a magic wand and somehow, you know, magic erase all of the sin out of your, your life. He, he on the spot says, I declare you to be righteous, but reality is He just kind of covers it with the righteousness of Jesus. And you still got that in there. And he slowly over time begins to work it out of you. So I said all that to say this. Sometimes, don't tell anybody, but sometimes you can be a jerk too. 
Sometimes I can be one. Definitely don't tell anybody that. Don't tell my wife that. But I can be not so nice at times as well. We all have those moments, right? Because that sin is still in our life. That sin is still in there. And I'm not even talking about excuses where you're just cranky because you're tired or you're hungry and, or just not feeling well. I'm just talking about plain old, you feel okay and you're just not being nice. You're just a jerk. And the Bible says that we are to bless those that persecute us. This is not talking about be nice to somebody and that they don't like you because you've been mean to them. Let me just put it in plain language. This is not you being a jerk to somebody and like, well, the Bible tells me i got to bless you because you're persecuting me. Like this is persecution. When pe- Persecution is people treating you wrongly because you're doing rightly. All right? This is you doing right. This is you speaking right. This is you doing right. This is you living for Jesus. And they just do not like you. They don't like what you're doing. They don't like what you stand for. They don't like what you believe. They just are against you. And rather than you joining them on that field of battle and putting your dukes up and you know figuring that all out, you and I are supposed to actually look for ways to bless them and not curse them. We are to be a blessing to the world around us. We don't get to pick and choose just exactly who, well, that person's been good. I'm going to be nice to them. I'm writing that one off. I don't want to go there. We are to bless all of them. Now, this is exceedingly difficult, guys. In fact, the Bible, just to make it worse, he goes on and he says, never avenge yourself. Don't ever try to get justice for yourself. You know, revenge, I think, still has a little bit of a bad connotation, right? We all know revenge is bad. You shouldn't get revenge. You know, movies are made off of that. How many movies just are based off of getting revenge? To be honest with you, I kind of like them too until I sit back. I'm like, well, that was kind of cool. The guy came out on top, but his motive was a little bit messed up. We don't get to live like the movies, ladies and gentlemen. That's not the way we're supposed to live. But this word isn't revenge. It doesn't have a bad connotation. It actually just means justice. When you've been wronged and you've legitimately been wronged, it is not your job to go get justice with the other person is what this is saying. It's not even talking about revenge. You're just like, well, I don't want revenge. I'm just going to go make it right. I'm just going to go get justice. I'm going to go, because that's what's right. I've been wronged. That's what I naturally want to do, right? Isn't that what you want to do? You've been wrong. You want to get it right. There's something inside of it. It's like, how dare that person have wronged me? I can't believe that. And we get twisted up and been out of shape, and we want to make things right. And the Bible is like, don't do it. Vengeance is mine. There's Two things wrong when you and I want vengeance or to get avenged, to get justice. It's really just what this means is to execute justice toward the other person. One, we don't do it nearly as well as God does. God gets justice a whole lot better than you ever will. That I joked about the whole heaping coals thing. By the way, if you're like, well, I'm going to be nice this person because really I know that I'm going to be pouring on some coals. That's kind of not the idea, right? It's like you're to bless them and let God figure out whatever needs to be done in that situation, right? But you and I can never truly get justice. When somebody has done something wrong, there's really no way to get that back when that motive's been done. You and I can't get it. We can't make that happen. We're not as good at it. And the second thing, and this is much deeper and bigger than that, is Justice and the avenging part belongs to God. 
So when you are trying to get justice, you're actually trying to take something that belongs to God. Now, do you like it when people take things that belong to you? I don't. I kind of take that personally, right? God doesn't like it when we try to take that which belongs to Him. And so He says, look, justice, avenging, that's my department. This is my job. In fact, if you're trying to make this right in your heart, you're getting in the way, and now you are a problem. Now i got to deal with that person, and i got to deal with you. And now I actually can't really deal with that person the way that I ought to, because you've gotten in the middle, and you've mucked it up, and instead of me being able to kind of just purely you know, deal with them, because you have been completely in the right, not just in the beginning, but even afterward, you didn't respond in revenge. You didn't respond trying to get justice. God's like, now I got a mess and I got to sort out all of you. It's kind of like the parent when the kids are going at it, you know, you kind of hear the screaming in the other room and you, you know, well, what, what happened? And you get two different stories or maybe three different stories, you know, if you've got three kids there and you're like, you're all messed up. Like, you're all in trouble. I don't know. At this stage of the game, every one of you is blowing it, you know. And that's what God is doing with us. He's like, leave it. You don't try to fix it. That justice belongs to me. Now, folks, persecution is not fun, and we face it. Make, sh- make no mistake, persecution is not just when you're being crucified or burned at the stake for your faith. It happens in everyday life. I don't think you could really be a believer in New York and not feel that at some level with all that's around us, right? And that persecution is real. It's just it's based on what we believe. It's based on what we stand for. Jesus said, look, if you follow me, the world's not gonna the world's gonna persecute you because they hated me, and they're gonna hate you. Like you've joined my team, and that's just the way it rolls. You're going to not be liked. People are going to persecute you. You're gonna face challenges, you're gonna face um, people talking behind your back, you're gonna face people saying things about you, thinking things about you, doing things, you're gonna face it. And truth of the matter, we're probably going to increasingly face more and more in our country as followers of Christ. Yes, just reality. It's not being doomsday. That's just reality. But for you and for me to turn around and to know when that person right there is just inappropriately, like whether it's calling us something, accusing us of things, or just not liking whatever, and there's something we're like, this is not right. I'm not what you're saying I am. We leave it to God. And we bless them. We don't go looking for persecution, but we bless them. And the only way that I know that you can turn around and not get justice for yourself, not be offended, not go on the attack, not go to defend yourself inappropriately, unduly, is it takes extreme trust and faith in God. That's the only way you're going to be able to do this, is for you to say, oh, I'm being persecuted right now. And it's remembering this verse and saying, God, I'm going to step back. Everything inside of me wants to lash out, but God, I'm going to step back and I trust you to take care of me. Folks, that's hard. It's one thing to trust Jesus to save you from your sins. That's a big step in a person's life. That's when we really get saved. But there's an ongoing more and more of you and I trusting Jesus with our just welfare, day in and day out, to say, it's okay. You're coming at me. You mean evil for me. I'm going to let God take care of it. 
and I'm not going to defend myself. Because there's something in all of us. It's just kind of natural that, you know, whether it's in sports, a lot of times kids will have trouble hitting a ball or fielding a ball or just even if it's shooting sports, it's just your body braces for impact. Your body, like incoming, you kind of want to brace. And so when that persecution comes at you, you want to brace for it. And what we're to do as followers of Jesus is to say, I'm going to relax and I'm going to trust God to take care of me in the middle of this. And that's hard to do. But that's, that's really, by the way, if you struggle with anxiety, that's what you're doing with anxiety. Oh, there's something might be coming my way. I'm going to brace for it. And you get worked up about it, even if it's something that's not becoming real. And all of that, the antidote is to trust God. And then the second piece of it is, is self-control. Not reacting immediately. Not reacting in the emotion and the the heat of that and being able to just say, okay, I'm going to control it. I'm going to trust you, God. And that's not easy to do, but that is what we are supposed to do and we are able to do through Jesus our Lord. Well, I need to move on with that So, because there's three other things if I've got a chance to this morning to talk to you about. But the first big one in overall this whole passage is we are to look to bless others, not react. And even if they're coming at us, who say, God, I trust you. I trust you. Second thing he tells us to do is not just bless our enemies, bless those who persecute us, but he tells us to seek for empathy. We ought to be looking to empathize with people around us. He says in verse 15, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Again, it's easier to be happy with people that you like. We don't have to be told to do that. He's really telling us in context, he just finished talking about the enemy. These are not disconnected thoughts. Like, hey, even when your enemy seems to be having a good time, don't sit back and get jealous. And I can't, you know. They get the pay raise and they've been digging into you and all of that and, you know, whatever. You're supposed to be happy for them. Not resentful, not jealous. Rejoice. And cry with those who are crying. Rejoice with those who are rejoicing. There is to be a level of empathy, not just for our enemies, but really everybody. You know, it's a newsflash. When God tells us to do something, it's usually something we're not doing, and it's something that's not easy, right? If you've had kids, you know that reality. If you've been a supervisor, if you've worked with volunteers, you have to tell people to do things they're not doing, and they probably don't want to do. And so our nature is to not to empathize, but we are to look to to put ourselves in other people's shoes. Now, we're not allowed to say, well, that's just not me. I'm not very empathetic. You know, I'm not I don't have that gift. (laughs) I'm not very good at it. I just I'm I don't understand that. Um, He tells all of us to do that. He tells all of us to step into the other person's shoes and join them where they are, emotionally, situationally, and what's going on. Now, I can remember the day that as a man that I realized that the majority of women are very different from me. And this may come, this may be funny, but I remember the day I was sitting at my desk, I was a pastor, it was like 25 years ago, this is not recent. And there was somebody who was in our church. It was had nothing to do actually with my wife, so I should have been helpful if I'd have known this a little bit sooner. 
but there was a woman that was calling me, and uh, she was having some just challenges. Her husband was traveling a lot and away, and she was just kind of not happy, you know, just missing her husband and all of that. And as a dumb husband, as a dumb pastor, as a dumb man, I thought she was presenting me with a problem to fix. So I immediately analyzed the situation. Well, here's three things you can do to feel better about this and work on this. And afterwards, you know, my ideas went, you know, bombed, went completely flat. And I'm kind of like, why did I just spend 40 minutes on the phone? And it dawned on me like, she didn't want my help. She just wanted to talk. I'm like, wow, what a crazy thing. Like, it just, really? It's kind of like in baseball, like, throw me a pitch I can hit, you know? Don't, don't throw something, like, and it just, now, ladies, some of you are not like that, so I don't want to overly stereotype, and some of you men are like that, all right? We're not all the same, but if we're being really stereotypical, Men, we struggle with this whole empathy. She wanted a bit of empathy. She wanted me to just sit there and say, wow, yeah, you're right, that is so hard. And, and you know, kind of in the middle of it, and as a good pastor, I totally bombed that one, you know, to be honest with you, it just like fell completely flat. We are all to show empathy. Men, you and I especially, like there's kind of three stages. When we are faced a problem, 99% of the time, I go to fix it. Dad, husband, Problem, fix it. How do I solve that? How do I keep it from happening again? That's the part I really love. Like, oh, we got a new problem. Let's solve that thing because I don't ever want to come back to this spot ever again in my life. Most of our life is not that. Some of it is. All right? You guys tracking with me? That's kind of stage one. But most of our ladies in our life are not looking for that. The next stage is kind of sympathy. Sympathy is kind of like where you're just like, oh, wow, that really is bad. I feel sorry for you. I feel bad. That's kind of the next stage. Empathy is where we go beyond that and we say, oh my goodness, I really do feel your pain. I am walking with you. I am not trying to solve anything. I'm not trying to figure anything out. I'm not trying to fix anything. I'm just sitting with you in the mess. Remember the story of Job? Job was in a mess. Lost his kids, lost his his uh, income, lost all that, that belonged to him, lost his health. He was sitting with boils. The only thing he didn't lose was his wife, and his wife was a disaster and nagging at him and hacking at him. And his three friends came. You know what you boil the book of Job down to? You know what his three friends did? They were in fix-it mode. They're like, oh, Job, we know what the problem is. It's you. You've been bad. you got all this bad stuff happening to you. This stuff will go away if you start being good. You're the sinner. You're the problem. They never sympathized, and they never got to the point of empathy. And that's really more of what Job needed. And that's, that's a little bit of a shallow reaction to the whole Job, but that's kind of what's going on. Folks, we are called to empathize with the people around us. And to do that means we have to be close enough in relationship with people to know what's going on in their life, to cry when they're really crying. That's how we bear one another's burdens. That's scary, to be honest, for ladies. That's scary for us as men. Fixing it is easier. Sitting in the middle of something, I'll be honest, it's, I've been working at that for 25 years, and I'm still working on it. I've gotten a lot better even with my own family, but I don't like to stay in the middle of that world. I'm like, I just, but God calls us to, to rejoice, to cry, to care, to be in relationship. And that means even with the difficult people in our life. That's the context here. So 
Bless our enemies. Seek to empathize deeply with others. Third thing, live in harmony. Now I'm, I'm going to pick up speed and move quickly. Verse 16, live in harmony with one another. I learned something here. That word live, is, it literally means to think the same. It's used multiple times in Scripture. It's Philippians 2 where the Bible, the old King James said, you know, that that God, who being in the uh, Jesus being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal to God, but humbled himself. And then Paul goes in Philippians and talks about the stages that, that, of Jesus, who is the God of the universe, came to this earth in the form of a man. And being in the likeness of a man, he lived on this earth, and he ultimately he died. And he died not just a death, a common death, but a criminal's death on the cross. He was crucified. And so the whole idea is that you and I are to be humbled in our mind, that we are to think the same thing. Let that mind that Jesus had humbling himself to be in us. It's how we're to walk around with that same mindset today. That's this exact same word of living in harmony. You know how you live in harmony with other people? It's thinking the same as they do. It's getting your mind. It's not so much navigating the things around you. It's actually you getting your attitude and your heart lined up. Whenever I'm working with couples and trying to help them work through things in marriage, to be honest with you, it's not the picky stuff that everybody complains about. Well, I don't like the way they do this and this, and you know, and I don't like the way he does this, and, and she's done this to me, and all these things. That's not the hard stuff. The hard stuff you got to get over is your own mind and thinking in your heart, getting in alignment and coming into agreement inside of you. And when we do that, when we begin thinking and agreeing, that's when harmony comes. Well, Sean, I can't live in harmony. I can't think the same as my enemies. The reason they're persecuting me is because I do follow Jesus, and they're not. So here's the deal. There comes a time where you have to disagree, but you aren't disagreeable by nature, and you aren't a jerk about it. But most often... People are getting, dis they're disagreeing and getting all twisted out of shape, bent out of shape about small things today. And really the biggest thing that I know that we should be willing to step up is when it's a safety issue. Whether somebody's eternal soul is at stake, somebody's physical safety is at stake, that's when you step up and say, uh, I'm sorry, that's wrong. We got to deal with that. But too often as Christians, we get into other conversations that aren't about eternal safety. People's souls, heaven and hell, right? That's a safety issue. That's an eternal issue. And we allow different things to get in the middle of that. But as much as possible, we need to get our thinking with those difficult people into alignment as much as we can. Let go of what we can't. Get into alignment what we can and be okay with it. That's why the Bible later on says, as much as is possible, as it depends on you, live peaceably. Get yourself in alignment. You don't be a problem. You be a part of the solution. And if there's a problem, let it be entirely that person. And when it's entirely that person, you trust God that God says, vengeance belongs to me. I am going to repay. You may not see it, you won't get to relish in it. In fact, God tends to not let us see it because you know why? It'd be bad for us. We'd be like, ha, get him. You know, we'd be like egging God on, and God's like, it's not your place. It's my job. You got to trust me that I'm going to deal with it. So we are to live peaceably. 
Now, one other little piece, and this passage doesn't mention it, but if you're going to live peaceably with people, I've kind of learned this the painful way myself, is when you get offended or bothered or hurt or felt threatened or attacked, you know, and you're persecuted by somebody else, you've got to deal with that inside of you. You've got to come to peace and come to terms with that, whether it's forgiveness. You've got to spiritually before God say, God, that one smarts but I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you. And you got to let it go. Because you know what happens? Is when we feel that and we take that shot, if you will, we take that, that evil coming toward us, and we hold on to it. And it creates bitterness and forgiveness. And somewhere downstream, it's going to come back out. We're going to say something. We're going to do something. And, it, and all it takes is one little thing about the person or situation to bother us. And it's like, boom, there's our opportunity. The real issue isn't that. The real issue is we never dealt with the other things over here. So if you're going to live in harmony with people, you're going to live in harmony with individuals, you have got to learn to forgive. And by the way, the closer that person is to you, and if they're your spouse, this goes up a million times, you've really got to forgive. And you've got to be able to let go of those things. You've got to come to terms with those things and come to peace. And there's a process, and sometimes that takes time. And usually, most often, it's you that's got to change and not the other person. We get into our mind, well, they got to change. It's them. they got to do all this differently. Like, no, you got to get your mind differently. And you've got to change and you are the one that's got to deal with some stuff. And then you are stopped being a part of the problem. You're living in peace with them as far as your responsibility. And then you're trusting God that whatever the situation is, is even if they stay and do even worse, that you know that the blessing of God is upon you. Because God's going to deal with the justice of that individual and He's going to deal and He's going to take care of you. That's the place that you and I want to live. Fourth thing, and I'm done. Not only do we need to live in harmony along the way, but we also need to be careful. We need to avoid pride. He says, Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never, never be wise in your own sight. The idea of haughty means kind of elevated, lifted up. It's not just pride, but don't ever be too good to not associate with somebody else. Teenagers in the room, when you're at school, friendships form, and sometimes they form around the same kinds of things, and rarely do you see different groups of people just associating freely. You know, you don't tend to see smart kids hanging out with kids that struggle. You don't see the athletic kids hanging out with the kids that aren't so good athletically. You don't see kids that come from homes that have the money and the right shoes and the right clothes hanging out with those kids that don't have those opportunities. You don't see those mixing. And very often, what happens in the middle of it, whether kids are consciously thinking it or not, is they begin to think that, well, I'm just too good. I don't want my social status to be brought down. I don't want to be dragged down in the middle. I don't want my friends to see me doing this or that. And the Bible says, look, None of us should be too haughty. None of us should be too prideful, thinking that we're above anyone to hang out with the 
lowly people. That goes for us as adults, even when we're not in school, that we are to be able to engage and to be with people. That we are, even if sometimes we get the mindset, and this is what Paul's talking about, is that we think that we're wise. We think that we've got life figured out. We, you know, we think, well, it's not pride if it's true. I'm just wise. I got it figured out. And the Bible says, don't ever think that you're wise. Don't ever think to yourself that you've got it figured out. Now, this is not for you and me to walk around and say, well, I'm just so dumb. I don't understand anything. I can't figure anything out. What it is telling us is be careful with your confidence because nobody's got it all figured out. I experienced it in a small way this, this, past, uh, this past week. Fourth of July came and we were hanging out in our backyard. And my backyard kind of, I can see a long way. Uh, I can see toward the southern end of the Adirondacks, really, just off a long way. And consequently, we get sunsets and we see the weather that comes kind of to the west and the north. And, and so it's normal for us to see storms and be outside and coming in. And they, 90% of them, 95% of them always kind of flowing from the west, the west-northwest, and, you know, when it's bad rain and storms. And so anyway, we're outside. But this kind of off to the, the, the northeast, kind of we saw some... Big thunder boom, we call them thunder boomers, just big white clouds billowing up. And you're like, uh-oh, that looks like a storm's coming. And sure enough, a little while later, you can see it. And, and I'm just like, so many times I've seen the storms like that kind of blow by us and kind of go north of us, I guess Saratoga County or whatever. And I'm like, ah, it'll probably go by us, it'll be okay. And I kind of, you know, ah, it'll miss us, we'll be all right. Well, it pasted us. And I'm like, well, shows you what you know, Sean, after your great weatherman, you know, abilities. Something may happen ten times the same way and you think you got it figured out. And the eleventh time, it's different. See, none of us are to be wise in our own eyes. None of us are to act like we don't need somebody else, so we got it all figured out. And by the way, you don't make as many enemies when you stop being wise and acting like you just weigh in at other people's situations. You know, a lot of problems get caused relationally. When you and I think we know something and we wade into something when we got no business wading into it. Like, we were not invited to this party. Why are we giving our opinion here? And nine times out of ten, we don't know enough of the situation to really give good counsel and advice. So step back and say, I'm really not too sure. And don't be wise in your own eyes. Folks, as followers of Jesus... Our relationships over time should be far better than the world around us. And regardless of where they are, I don't think it's healthy to measure them. Well, our relationship, my relationship with that person's a C, but this one's it's a B, and I got an A plus here. Like none of that's healthy, right? But when you and I, because of the grace and the forgiveness and the wisdom that the Lord Jesus pours in our heart, it changes us. And when we start living these things out, some of those enemies who don't like us, they're going to say, wow, Sean should have like reacted to me, but he didn't. And some of those people, God's going to work in their heart and he's going to save them and change them. Others, maybe even most, that's not going to be reality. But you know what? You leave that to God. God's your protector, not you. God's your defender, not you. You're not your own law enforcement department that you can go around in the wild, wild west and do what you want to do. You trust God. And God in heaven, in essence, is saying, do you trust me enough 
to deal with the jerks in the world? Do you trust me enough to put your well-being and care into my hands, not just in the abstract, but in the here and now with that person? You trust me. And are you going to exercise self-control? Self-control is part of the fruit of the Spirit. That where we're living our life in connection with God, and He's producing the fruit of His goodness in it. It's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, goodness, self-control. That that becomes a part of our life more and more. Do we ever get it 100%? Will you always be 100% in self-control? No. I haven't been. I'm not the standard, but I've not found a way, and I've yet to see a Christian that was there either. But more and more, God works in your life and begins to shrink that outburst and all of that. And so, what do you need to hear this morning in your relationships? Maybe it's in relationship with you or in your home. Maybe you've struggled to truly show empathy. Maybe you've been hiding behind. Well, I'm just not an empathetic person. That's just not me. I don't have that. Sorry. Start showing empathy to the ones you love. Here's my recommendation. Get some easy wins under your belt. Start showing some empathy to the ones you love and care about the most. And then allow God to grow it and build it where you can empathize to others who aren't as nice to you. Maybe there's some other things in there that you need to think about and loving others and tangibly working through it. I don't know. But grab one or two of those things that God said, this was for you this morning. This is why I wrote this. This is why Paul's writing it. Jesus changes our life through the gospel, and the gospel changes us, and the gospel through us transforms relationships. And as those change, as we change, sometimes that gospel th flows through to the other person, it changes them, and it goes forward and it moves on in that same way. So I'm going to pray, and our team's going to come up, but ask God, God, what do I need to hear today? And whatever you sense in your heart, a conversation, maybe you need to ask forgiveness, maybe something you need to think about, maybe something you need to go home and Google in the Bible, do a little more research, but respond to what God is speaking to you today. Pray with me, would you? Father, thank you for the truths of your word. They are so practical and profound. Thank you, Father, that the Bible is such a book about relationships, how to have a relationship with you, how to have a relationship with those around us. Lord, help us to live these truths. These are not easy. Father, I have been a, a follower of yours for 40 years, and I still have not mastered a single one of these. So Lord, help me to take steps as well, and I pray that for every individual here. And Lord, those that have not truly surrendered their life to you, Father, I pray for your convicting presence in their life, that they might see their sin and at the same time might see the sweetness and the wonder that Jesus alone is seeking to save and to forgive. Help them to know and to trust you, Father, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.